There is probably no more appropriate subject to come to on Father's Day than blessing. By blessing, I mean the exercise of speaking good, life-giving words over another person. I think dads have a unique opportunity to model how God blesses his kids by speaking out words of worth, purpose, and identity. In fact, everyone who has a parenting or grandparenting role also has a responsibility to help train up the next generation in faith. And one of the unique ways we can do that is by learning to bless them, regardless of their age. Because babies need blessing, and big kids need blessing too. Conversely, children also have the opportunity to reciprocate blessing back to their parents. And that's why a day like Father's Day can be so much fun. It can be filled with blessing. In fact, if you haven't done so already, make sure you go to the website and download the resource, Write a Spiritual Blessing, along with our talking points for this message, and dig into what it means to bless others and reflect on your own blessing as well. Write a blessing out for somebody and do it today. It's way cheaper than a card and possibly way more meaningful. As a dad, I think back in my life to those early years when our kids were young. I desperately wanted to parent well, but I always felt like I was in a little over my head. As my kids moved through different developmental stages, I began to realize that often you finally understand and are comfortable and confident with the stage you are in just about the time that that stage comes to an end. My first middle-of-the-night diaper change in the hospital after Jonathan, our oldest, was born was an absolute disaster. I couldn't find the diaper bag, and I was carrying Jonathan. Finally, I set him down on a chair so that I could turn around and look for it. By the way, never do that with a newborn. The postnatal nurse who was observing me became a platoon sergeant, telling me exactly what I did and why I should never do that again. And she so stressed me out that I could barely get through it. Now eventually, within a couple of months, I could do a diaper change in about 10 seconds without hardly waking up. But then a second child came, Matthew, and we had to go from you into a you take one, I take one strategy, splitting them up, divide and conquer. Then came Eric and we had to move from man to man coverage to zone defense. Finally, we added Mitchell and we realized that four might just be our tipping point. It was all so much fun as they moved from, from the baby and toddler days to school years, sports, graduations, and learning to drive, and now university. And as each new stage came, I'm thinking, I don't have the chapter for this one in my book yet. Now, I read a lot of parenting books back in those early days, or at least I bought a lot of parenting books. And one of the ones that was most helpful had a generic title, kind of like Keys to Successful Parenting or How to Be a Better Dad. I don't remember the title as much as I remember the content because it was a research book that was based on academic and social outcomes for children and the corresponding influences and actions of their fathers. So basically, it was asking, what positive influence can dad bring? And there, what, what were the keys to successful fathering? The first one, I remember, because I thought it was going to be profound, and it seemed just so simple. It was presence, just being there. Showing up and sticking around really is half the battle. In fact, the for, in the study, almost 100% of the students who struggled had no consistent fathering influence in their lives. So dads, moms, 
grandmas, grandpas, children and youth volunteers, coaches, teachers, do not underestimate the power of presence or the need to simply be there in a young person's life. They might like hanging out with their friends more than you, but nothing replaces the intentional presence of a parent, particularly a dad. The second key was awareness. Know what's going on. This is about being fully present. It means putting down the phone, maybe letting the grass be long for another day, ignoring the distractions and becoming aware of what's going on in your child's heart and in their mind. Watch them. Notice where they are struggling and where they are thriving. Learn to ask good questions and then discipline yourself to zip it and be quiet and just listen. The third key was engagement, getting involved. This is about entering into their world, learning to play, helping them figure out or work through a problem they are facing. What do they want to do? Do that for a change. I used to think, of, I think that giving my boys a chore list and then making sure they got them, done, got them all done right was engagement. Now chores are important, but there will always be dishes to be done. We do have responsibilities within the family, but don't confuse activity with engagement. And don't just let your kids join in what you're doing. Learn to join in what they are doing. The fourth key was words of affirmation, speaking a blessing. And this is what we've seen over the past few weeks, that words are powerful. Because we are made in the image of God, a God who forms, creates, and blesses with his words. Therefore, our words have power too, to create and to destroy, to hurt and to heal, to build up and to tear down, to bring wisdom or to leave wounds. If you did an inventory of your words over the past week, what would you notice? Do your words tend to be positive or negative? Are they encouraging or discouraging, sincere or sarcastic, age-appropriate or hard to understand, for someone or against them? Is there more money in your blessing jar or in your swear jar? Our words reveal a great deal about what's going on in our heart. What's amazing about this list, and there might have been more, but these were the four that stuck with me, is that God does all of them. He does them for us when we open up our lives to him. He is present, aware, engaged, and he speaks a blessing, words of affirmation, truth, and love over us as his children. And that's why we sing back to him, you're a good, good father. That's who you are. In worship, we are blessing God by declaring his attributes and proclaiming his acts of grace. And this month, we are looking at some of the great blessings in the Bible that are often used in worship. And we're using them as an inspiration to write our own blessings. These are well-known words, sometimes called benedictions, and they're really important because biblical blessings remind us of who God is and who we are because of God. Do you remember those pop-up art galleries they used to put in the middle of the mall? 
I probably say, do you actually remember when we used to go to the mall? But what I'm thinking about is, is those pictures that would portray a common scene on the surface. But if you stared at them long enough, a hidden 3D image would emerge that would change the way you looked at the whole picture. There was always something deeper and beautiful hidden, but it would take time and focus to bring it out. That's what we're doing with these familiar benedictions and blessings. We're looking at them in detail, meditating on them, turning them over in our minds. And as we do, some amazing truths about God come into focus. You could also think, about them, think of them as a wordle about God. Wordles are those word pictures where the text is positioned both vertically and horizontally. And there are variations in the size and font and color, and it all gives weight to particular words. Wordles are a visual depiction of words that allow for a deeper understanding or appreciation of the subject to, to emerge. And for us, the subject here is God. And from the wordle of the blessing, something beautiful comes to the surface. With all this in mind, let's come to the letter of Jude. Jude is one chapter long, and we're going to be looking at verses 24 and 25. It's the blessing that Edna read for us earlier, and it's tucked right in the back of your Bible just before the book of Revelation. Jude 24 and 25. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Now, a little bit of background. The book was written by Jude, who was the unbelieving brother of Jesus. In the book of Acts, we are told that he became a believer, a follower of Jesus, and eventually a missionary for the faith. The book was likely written around 60 AD, making it one of the last books in the New Testament in terms of chronology. It's unclear who exactly the audience was, but it's obviously a group of young Christians, both Jews and Gentiles, who would have been familiar with the Old Testament literature because Jude uses a number of Old Testament references and metaphors. If you read through both Jude and 2 Peter, you will notice they are strikingly similar. Both are dealing with similar scenarios of false teachers infiltrating the ranks of the church, and both give clear instruction and admonishment to persevere in the truth of the gospel. Jude uses a variety of metaphors to warn these young believers. Not only has there been a distortion of the gospel, but there's also been a loosening of biblical morals and virtue. They are no longer living the way Jesus had called them to live. Sinful compromise has crept in, and they are missing out on the full life in the kingdom of God. The thesis of the book is found in verse 3. Dear friends, Although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. In other words, we need to be careful not to get pulled away from the core message of Jesus. And don't give up on the mission of the church. Don't assume that tough times means that the gospel has stopped working. Keep going because God is at work and God is with us. The application or the action step in the book is found beginning in verse 20. 
but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. In response to all that is going on, to the challenges and to the opportunities, Jude is saying, keep yourself in the love of God, for God is the one who keeps you in his love. Keep yourself in the love of God, for God is the one who keeps you in his love. Keeping yourself is the main verb. It's the action in, this, in, this, in these two verses. And it's the only verb that's in the imperative. All the other verbs here are supporting participles, meaning that they are defining how we keep ourselves in the love of God. You do it by building yourself up in the most holy faith. In other words, keep growing. By praying in the Holy Spirit, keep interceding. By waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, keep trusting. Jude explains that these are challenging days for the church, and he calls them to persevere and to contend for the faith in the midst of the challenge and the difficulty for their sake and for the sake of their community. And so this is so much a book and a blessing for today because our whole world has been shaken by the pandemic. The culture has, has changed. Faith has been challenged. Godly rhythms and routines have been suspended. More morals have shifted. Virtues are almost and often hidden. And there is a lot of brokenness, suffering and weariness. And I think that means there's no better time for the church to be the church in our community than right now. Online, you can go to church anywhere in the world. But right here in our community is where God has called you to be a voice of hope in real ways. And we get to do that together. As we slowly emerge from the stress of this past year, the church has an incredible opportunity before it to become a source of hope and truth and healing. We have good news to share, the best news. That's one of the reasons we are opening Compass Camps as our first priority. We are intentionally focusing externally because we know that kids need a camp where they have Jesus modeled for them and the gospel explained to them, where they are valuable and where they can have fun with others. And parents need a safe place for kids to go, even if it's just for a few hours. We're going to share more with you about our return to in-person ministries over the next few weeks. But when it comes to Compass Camps, you need to know that all the weeks in Orangeville are already sold out. But if you know someone who needs to get to camp, we still have some room in week four, which is in Shelburne. Like Jude, we are living in days of great challenge and great opportunity. Some days you may feel like everything is finally coming together, or you may feel like everything is still falling apart. That's why we need this blessing from Jude. Because after the warnings and the admonishment and the teaching comes the blessing. You could summarize it this way. God's got this and God's got you. He really still does have the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. And you and me, sister, in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. God is not in a hurry. God is not overwhelmed. God is in control and he is with us.
He's got this, and he's got you. And he promises to see us through if we will just stay and commit to growing and praying and trusting. This is what he will do. Verse 24 says, He is able to keep us from stumbling. This is help in the present. Stumbling here is a reference to eternal stumbling. So this verse assures us that by the power of God, we are spiritually protected. God will spiritually protect and keep his people, securing our salvation. This doctrine is called the perseverance of the saints, and it is a, a, a truth for difficult days. Because it, it, it shows us that those who have genuinely committed their life to Jesus will not ultimately fall away from faith, no matter what. Because in his grace, God will keep them from stumbling. He will give them what they need to follow him in these days and to return to him when they wander. This does not mean that God's people are incapable of getting messed up or getting entangled in sin. Just look at the examples in the Bible of King David or the Apostle Peter. Those with faith can get taken down by fear and temptation. But because they belong to God, God will enable them to get back up and come back to life with him. It's like the story of the prodigal son or the running father. God makes it possible for us to come home and he runs to meet us along the way. And while God is certainly able to keep us from all sin, he also has given us freedom to choose and he allows us to come into situations where we will need to show our faith by seeking to follow him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the apostle Paul says, God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. God's promise is to keep his people from stumbling. That means for all who God has redeemed, he will also bring into their life conviction and the opportunity to repent and to reconsider when things go wrong, when they wander, because they will sin. And sometimes they will lose their way, but by God's grace, they will return to him in faith. God is the giver of eternal life, and he is the sustainer of that life. And that is why Jesus says in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. The Westminster Confession of Faith in the chapter on perseverance says it this way. They whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be, saved, be eternally saved. In other words, once you're part of the family of God, you're always part of the family of God, which leads to the second part of this blessing that God intends to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. This is hope for the future. Just imagine a master of ceremonies at a wedding as they introduce each member of the bridal party. They quiet the guests down and then they start to introduce the different members as they come into the room. They say something, they say their name and something positive about them. They describe how they came to know the bride or the groom and what they've done together. 
why they've been given this special honor, and everyone claps and cheers as they enter the room. I think it's just a hint of what our introduction will be like someday when we stand before God. Just imagine you there. The throne room of heaven is quieted, and Jesus says to the Father, let me introduce you to our friend. I think they're pretty amazing just in who they are and who you created them to be. But let me tell you what they have done. They have trusted our redemptive plan and my work on the cross for their salvation. And they have grown strong in their faith and love. They have served and sacrificed in many ways for the kingdom, both seen and unseen. They remained faithful and persevered in difficult and troubling times when they faced suffering and uncertainty. They chose the narrow way when many chose the wide way. They have opened up themselves to receiving our love deeply and then to share that love with others sacrificially. They stood for truth, were ambassadors of hope. They became an agent of mercy who pursued justice. And then, in the twinkling of an eye, whatever there remains, a hint of brokenness or sin, it will once and forever be removed and we will be without fault before a holy, loving God forever. And those in the throne room will begin to clap at all the good things that God has done for you and in you. And you will be filled with great joy as Jesus looks at you and says, well done. Welcome home, friend. And as the old song says, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It reminds me of the words from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though out our outer self is wasting away, yet our inner self is being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal glory that is far beyond comparison. Jesus keeps us from stumbling in the present, and he will present us before God in the future. This should be a source of profound comfort for, to those who follow Jesus with great joy. However, we must not think that we can be passive when it comes to our faith and our salvation. We are called to, the, to work out our salvation, to put in the effort to partner with God. His grace enables and inspires us to grow in our faith and to pursue Christ-likeness, to build the church and to do the work of the kingdom. So stay faithful, endure hardship, keep learning from Jesus. Deal with that persistent sin. Seek accountability and fellowship with others. And let's do the good work God has called us to do, recognizing that he is with us all the way. So first we receive the blessing, and then we return the blessing back to God. The remainder of the doxology offers glory, majesty, dominion, and authority to God through Jesus Christ, our mediator, now and forevermore. 
In week one, we talked about keeping a journal and using it to write out prayers of blessing. Imagine today if you were to, to take that journal or take a blank page and just write the word God in the middle. Then around it, add Jude's words of glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. Then begin to design a complete wordle of praise and blessing back to God. Let it be your Father's Day gift to him. From, the one who is, from one who is called, loved, and kept by him, God's child. And if you're willing to, take a picture of it and send it to me. Or post it to social media with the hashtag, ThisIsCompass. We'll share our blessings together. I'd like to finish by reading from Psalm 121, which, which really is an echo of Jude 24, 25. And let this be our closing prayer together. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Keep yourself in the love of God, for God is the one who keeps you in his love. Amen.